Let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Uh, put it in context, remember Lazarus has been raised from the dead, and uh, this has is, this is rocked uh, Israel, and it's, it's a big thing. A man who was dead, and, and he, he stinketh. He had been in the tomb, he was rotting, and now he's alive. And at the close of chapter 11, it said, Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where Jesus was, he should report it, that they might seize him. And they actually said that about Lazarus, and you'll see it in the text we're about to read. And, and now there's a really spectacular dinner that's about to take place, and I would love to have been a fly in the wall at this dinner. You're going to have a healed leper, a man who was, who was dead, who was alive, who was stinking. You're going to have the living God. You're going to have Mary and Martha, um, you're going to have all the disciples. This is, this is quite a dinner. Let's take a look and see what happens. Chapter 12, verse 1. Then six days before the Passover, by the way, Jesus is going to be the Passover lamb. He's going to be crucified. So this is six days before the Passover. This is, this is Jesus is proceeding into Jerusalem where he will be beaten and crucified. And uh, it's getting close. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, which he loved to do. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with Jesus. And then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. House was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this day for my burial. Would everyone say, please say burial? For the poor you will have with you always, but me you do not have always. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also. Because on account of him, many Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Don't turn there, but I'm going to share with you another account in Mark 14 of the same instance. And this is just the reason why this all occurred as a result, what Mary was doing. Jesus says, she has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Amen? Amen. We're doing that right now, 2,000 years later. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. We see here Mary giving everything, what she had. We see a powerful picture of healing. We see your presence, and we see the room divided. And so, Lord, I, I pray that the application of this text this morning would touch us all. We would leave here changed. And I ask your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, please, sit down, relax. Not too much. There's, there's two anointings by a woman in Jesus' life, similar to what you see here with a, 
uh, an alabaster jar, very costly oil of spikenard. The oil of spikenard was um, olive oil infused with gladiolas. It had a sweet fragrance. The longer that the, the gladiolas stayed in the oil, sealed without any outside air affecting it so that the oil wouldn't putrefy, the longer that this was sealed, uh, the more fragrant it would become. It was like a, a fine bottle of wine. The older it was, the more expensive it was. And, and when it declares by Judas himself that it was 300 denarii, this was a very, very expensive um, you know, flask of oil. Um, and, and we find in two accounts, and some scholars believe that, that what is in Luke 7 is the same that we find here in John 12, uh, because it says in, in Luke 7 that it was at Simon the Pharisee's house. And then we find in this account of John 12 that it's also at Simon's house. It's actually in Mark 14. It says it's Simon's house, but it doesn't call him Simon the Pharisee. It calls him Simon the leper. Now, it's not the same account. They're two separate accounts. One is a, um, a woman who is a prostitute, and the other is Mary, which we don't have any reason to believe that she was a prostitute, although uh, some folks have, have insinuated as such. Uh, the more I study this passage, the more I see the distinction between the two. Uh, and, and not only that, one occurred in, in Bethany, and the other, uh, one in Judea, and the other was in Galilee. And one is in the north, and one is in the south. And, and here we see that this is occurring at Simon the leper's house. Now, Simon the leper, uh, a lot of folks uh, think that Simon the leper, according to Luke 16, is Lazarus. In Luke 16, there's a parable of Lazarus and the rich man. And Lazarus was a beggar that had sores that the dogs would lick. And he died, and the rich man died. And Lazarus was in Abraham's bosom, and the rich man was in hell or in Hades. And he was saying, can you have Lazarus dip his finger in water and put it on my tongue? And he said, where, where Lazarus is, you can't come. And where you are, you know, uh, yeah, both things. They can't go to their other places. And, um, and so people say, well, th- those sores represented leprosy, uh, and, that, and that Simon the leper was Lazarus. We don't know that. That's a, that's a pretty far stretch. It, it's also assumed or, or considered that Simon the leper was the father of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. Now, that's a little more possible, um, and, and that they would, they would say Simon the leper, and there's people coming to dinner at his house. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't really, you know, he's obviously healed, but he was Simon the leper. Um, he was associated with that. And we know that Jesus healed the leper. It could have been Simon the leper. We also know he healed 10 others. Only one came back to say thank you. There had never been a man healed of leprosy or a woman healed of leprosy in the history of Israel until Jesus had come. Um, and, and they're having it at Simon the leper's house. I think of the song they sang, Leprosy, I'm not half the man I used to be. I, I'm sorry. That's bad. That's very bad. That's bad. That's bad. All my arms and legs are falling off of me. I thought I could get away with it because leprosy has kind of been eradicated, and I don't know anyone in the room that has it or has it. Thought it would be politically correct. Apparently, it isn't. Some of you going, well, maybe it was. It just wasn't funny. They're doing it at Simon the leper's house, all the song, just to tell you, it's at Simon the leper's house. That's what we find in Mark 14. And, uh, and, and there's a gathering, quite a gathering. We, we know that the disciples are there. We know that Jesus is there. We know Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are there. We know that there's other folks there, and we know that people are coming to see Lazarus. I don't know about you, but if I heard that Lazarus was having dinner at somebody's house, it's kind of like driving down the freeway, and you see on the left side of the freeway, it's all backed up. 
or you're backed up uh, on the freeway and, and, and there's no cars on the left side and you know there's an accident. By the time you get to the location that's causing the backup, you know, you're saying, well, I'm not going to look. I, I, we just, the rubberneckers irritate me. And you, you know, and everybody wants to see the spectacle, the, whatever it is, the carnage. You're, you're, you're just drawn to that. Well, imagine a guy whose body stinketh. And everybody knew about it. And you'd celebrate the funeral. You'd seen his body. You'd seen all of the mess of it. And, and uh, now he's alive. And you can imagine the people at the table, you know, they were probably just, you just couldn't stop staring. You know, it's, it's like um, I was in junior high and I had a, a zit in the middle of my forehead. And, you know, Cyclops kind of. And, and, you know, people would talk. And you're just, you're so conscientious in junior high and then every kid, it just seemed like they were, you know, looking at it, just, just looking at it. And, and, you're, and you're talking, you know, and I don't know, I just thought I'd throw that out there too. But Lazarus, you can imagine him at the table. Yeah, Jesus, the Son of God, is right there. But everybody's just kind of looking over at Lazarus going, I, I saw him dead. This is fascinating. You can imagine someone going, no, he smells good. It doesn't, I, it's amazing. And, and the, the dinner party is, is exceptional. And there's a large crowd, and what we find is Martha's serving. And in contrast to, 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 to Luke chapter 10, where Martha was complaining that Mary wasn't helping her, and she was whining, here Martha is serving with joy. There, there's, there's no hindrance in her service, there's no complaining, and, and Mary goes even further than she did in Luke 10. She sat at Jesus' feet, and everywhere we see Mary, she's at the feet of Lazarus, she's at the feet of Jesus, and, and Martha complained back in Luke 10 that she was sitting at the feet of Jesus when there were dishes to do. Well, she didn't get any better because we're, we're here in John 12, and she's not doing dishes. She's not serving. She's taking this flask of oil of spikenard. She's broken the flask, and she's pouring it all over Jesus, and it's just saturating his hair, going into his clothing, into every layer of clothing. It's, it's you know, into his chest. It's dripping down his arms. It, it goes all the way to his feet, and it, it's just saturating him. And if you've ever seen olive oil, it's thick, and it's goopy, and it's just flowing. And this is expensive stuff, so it's massively infused. And, and as it's dripping all over his body, going down to his feet, and she's pouring it lavishly all over and pouring it all out. It says that she's let her hair down, which a Jewish woman doesn't do, and, and it's the glory of a woman. She's let her hair down. She's sobbing in joy. She's looking over at Lazarus, who's her brother, risen from the dead. She, she's, she's undone. She's looking at Jesus, who's done it. Maybe Simon the leper, her dad, who's been healed, is there. She's looking at that, looking at that, looking at that. She just, this is Unbelievable. She's undone, she's overwhelmed, she's sobbing in worship, and, and as she's crying, it's dripping into Jesus' feet, and she doesn't want to, she's, she's wiping it off with her hair and the dirt of the, of the floor and, and the oil and the fragrance, and, and everyone's looking just, and Martha's not complaining. She's like, Mary, you're making a mess, get up, come and help me with the dishes, this is obnoxious, you've just put oil all over the, f-. no, Martha's into it just as much as Mary is. There's a total transformation in the room. And, and, and it's six days before the Passover. Passover is where they, the, the angel of death would pass over the home that had the blood of the lamb. It's, it's the cross. It'd be on the top of the doorpost, on the sides, and, and in the basin, which is where you see the hands pierced, the feet pierced, and the, the crown of thorns. That's the cross. It's the, the blood that went over the doorpost in Egypt so that the angel of death would pass over. 
And, and they're going to celebrate Passover, but instead of the Paschal Lamb, they're going to have the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who was slain from the foundation of the world for sinners like you and me. As his blood was poured out, it was sufficient for all the world's sins, but only efficient for those who call upon the name of the Lord and receive him as Savior. And it's six days before this Passover. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be beaten. And this is what's fascinating to me is, is it's six days. He comes to Bethany, and, and, and it's where Lazarus was who had been dead, and he's there with him. And there's a supper and Martha's serving and, and Lazarus is there at the table with him. And, and now Mary takes this, this pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anoints the feet of Jesus, wipes his feet with her hair. The house is filled, it says, with the fragrance of the oil. Filled with the fragrance of the oil. I, I asked you to repeat a word and the word was in verse 7 when Jesus said, let her alone. She's kept this day for the day of my burial. She was preparing his body for burial. And pouring oil on him and the oil. It goes from the six days to Passover. And you can imagine Mary doesn't wash her hair. Martha's going, hey, and she's just smelling her hair. We just finished anointing. I smell the oil. It was the same with Mary, Jesus. And, and I was moved by this word burial because uh, I, was, I was touched by a verse when I was asked to officiate a funeral. And, and the verse that jumped out to me was Ecclesiastes 7.1. I've shared this before. And, and the verse just simply says, a good name is like a precious fragrance. But better is the day of a man's death than the day of his birth. It was written by Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. And you go, well, how could a man's death be better than the day of his birth? Well, it ties in with your name. A good name is like a precious fragrance. So you, you don't know if it's a good name until the end of someone's life. So nobody in the room names their children Judas Iscariot. Nobody names their children Jezebel. If you have, we'll talk later. <laughs> Adolf Hitler, Ted Bundy. These names are a stench to humanity. A stench. A stench. And a good name is like a precious fragrance, and you only know until the end of someone's life. Uh, the story I've shared is the very first funeral I ever did. It was for a 33-year-old woman. I was 33. Her casket was behind me. It was an open casket, and the reason why is because her mother was there, and her estranged daughter, a little young girl, had never seen her mother and they wanted the open casket so the daughter could see her strange mother. For the majority of her life, at 33 years of age, she was a drug addict. So there were four people in the funeral. My very first funeral, four people. Her life was a stench. Her mother had, had, had disowned her. She had stolen everything her mother had just to feed her selfish addiction. Her daughter had never had any love from her mother, didn't even know who she was. She, the, the daughter was unemotional, wasn't even touched. Can we go now? The room was barren. They couldn't wait to get away from the stench of this woman's life, the name. I didn't even know what to say. I spoke to the little girl. God told me to just minister to her, and I did in the message. I contrast that with the funeral of, of a man named Harold Haig. Harold served at the church in Fresno, an Armenian church I served at. And, 
And he was a volunteer. And it seemed like he was always the first to arrive and the last to leave. And he was doing all the grunt work and the minuscule, minial, minis, you know, tasks. And, and he always did it with a smile and things that nobody wanted to do, he did. And he always had a smile on his face and a pleasant countenance. And you, you just you couldn't put enough on the guy's back. And he just did it with joy. Harold reminded me of the story of, of, of Ronald Reagan when he talked about the pessimist and the optimist boys that were the same, and the scientists wanted to study them, and, and they were young children, and one seemed to be an eternal optimist, and the other seemed to be an eternal pessimist. So they took the pessimist child and put him in a room filled with brand new toys to observe him for an hour, and then they put the, the optimist in a room just piled high with horse manure to observe him for an hour. And when they came back after an hour, they found the pessimist child in the room full of brand new toys in the corner weeping. And they said, what's wrong? He said, I'm just so afraid to play with the toys because I might break one of them. And they came into the other room where the eternal optimist, the boy was in there, and he's just covered in horse manure, and he's digging through the manure, and he's laughing and smiling. And they say, what's up? And he says, with this much horse manure, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. (laughs) That was Harold Haig. That was Harold Haig. And when Harold died, I didn't know anything about his life. And when Harold died, I went to his funeral. And I assumed, well, you know, Poor Harold, I'll go to the funeral. I couldn't get in. There were people standing outside along the windows. The, the place was completely, I'd never seen a church that packed in all my life. And I'd heard story after story after story about this, how this man administered. And, and as the conversation went on, here's a man I'd served with for four and a half years that I, I didn't know this about him. He'd never brought it up. He was a widower. He raised three girls on his own. All three were married. The son-in-laws loved him. The grandkids loved him. They called him Papa. And that is endearing Armenian term. I can't, re- I can't remember it. But in each of the granddaughters spoke, and the grandson spoke, and the son-in-law spoke, and neighbors spoke. And what I found out, how he was widowed. His wife had struggled with mental illness, and, and on Thanksgiving, massive deep depression, she left the Thanksgiving t- table and said, I'm going to go for a walk. She went down to a vacant lot, covered herself in kerosene, and lit herself on fire. I never heard that from the man. Talk about a guy who could complain about life. Talk about a guy who just felt he got gypped. But his life was fragrant. I've shared this before, that that the the major sense of the human body, the five senses, the, the olfactory, the sense of smell, is the number one sense for memory recollection. And what's fascinating to me is here is John writing this epistle, or writing writing this gospel, and he's old. And he was the longest living, oldest surviving apostle. And by the time he's writing this, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter's dead. Matthew's dead. Lazarus is dead again. Mary and Martha have passed. They're all gone. And he's, he's reflecting on the fragrance of these lives. He's remembering Mary and the fragrance of the room. He's thinking of Martha serving. He's writing it down. And in the midst of writing this, all of a sudden this putrid stench comes to his recollection that nauseates him. And he writes in verse 4, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And the Lord reminds him, he's a stench. And he says, John, you know why he did that? And you can imagine John writing, saying, why, Lord? And he says, it's not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And John's going, yes, Lord, he was. And had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. I remember that. He always had money available to buy whatever it was. He was a thief. It's fascinating to me how people use the poor to justify their stealing. The government's really good at it. 
We want to help the poor. 85 cents of every dollar that the government spends for the poor goes to overhead. 15 cents goes to the poor. If you really, really, really love the poor, if you were honest, nonprofit organizations, churches, when they help the poor, 25 cents goes to overhead, 75 cents gets to the poor. I learned that from Neil Mammon. He did the research. 25 cents goes to overhead, 75 cents goes to the poor. So if you really, really love the poor, you'd let the church take care of it. But the government, there isn't a bigger stick to hit you over the head with to just pull your heartstrings and say, we're doing this for the least. No, they're lining their pockets. The closest thing to eternal life on this earth is a government job. And, and, and the bigger the government grows, the smaller the citizens become. A government big enough to give you everything you want is big enough to take everything you have. And as a church loses its influence, and, and this is the idea of a Judas Iscariot. It wasn't about the poor. It was about lining his pockets. It was about power. Don't ever forget that. It's not that Jesus was dismissing the poor. He was saying, look, as long as there's sin in the world, there's going to be poor. But right now, I'm here, and I'm the hope for the poor. And right now, God, the Father, is anointing me for burial. the poor will be tended to. There will be rescue missions developed by Christians. There will be hospitals developed by Christians. This will take place. But right now, we're going to see the source of that strength that these folks will draw from. And and you can imagine John writing this and going, he is a stench, and contrasting that with the fragrance of these lives that he's remembering pleasantly. And, and, and then the Holy Spirit inspires him to write this and to remember what Jesus said, let her alone, she's kept this day for the day of my burial. And in and, and, and Mark's account, and, and John would have known of it, she's done what she could. She has be- come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, whenever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And John's going, yes, Lord, Mary got it. And you can imagine six days as, it's, as the oil is saturated his body, filled the room in every nook and cranny. I, I, I was touched by 2 Corinthians chapter 2. The apostle Paul wrote this, and he was probably writing it, remembering the story that John had recalled, or Peter had recalled. And, and, and Paul wrote this, and he said, now, I th- now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one were the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. As as Mary broke the seal, broke the 